It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard. I am one of the certified financial planners on the show, also your host. Across from me, certified financial planner, Josh Gregory. Good to be with you, Mike. Hi there. Hey, should you own your home or are you better off renting? Or should you buy or lease your vehicles? How much should you have in emergency funds? And should it stay in cash or should it be invested? These are big choices that you have to make within the present financial position of your overall financial plan. And that's what we're going to be hitting on today's show of the Wise Money Show. It's all about choices today, folks. And and really, it's questions that you have. Okay, So if you have questions, we want to hear from you. We want to talk about it on an upcoming show. You can reach out to us in a few different ways. First, give us a call, send us a text, 574-222-2000. Second, visit us online, wisemoneyradio.com. You can catch up on previous episodes as well as submit a question right there on the right. Lastly, every episode is up there online at the YouTube channel, at Wise Money Radio, Facebook and Twitter as well. Submit questions, connect with the show that way also. Like Josh said, so we are excited to announce we're starting a new series here for the Wise Money Show where you know... There are six areas to your financial life and to my financial life and Josh's. First area is uh, present financial position. Second, protection planning. Third, tax planning, investment planning, retirement planning, estate planning. That's all six. We, in this series, we're going to take a week and devote a week, a full episode to each one of those areas and talk about the key, the most important choices you have to make in each of those areas, really to give you a context for those decisions and then really help give you guidance when you're making those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for uh, for my mind that loves to have things laid out in nice outline form and, tight, That's true. <laughs> you know, nice and tidy, organized and everything. I, I love the fact that we're going through this series and going one of those key disciplines at a time and, and hitting these types of questions. But before we get into it, I, I feel like, Mike, for you and me, we need the reminder that making these types of decisions just in a vacuum by themselves can often kind of lead you astray. That's right. right. Yeah. If you start making these types of decisions just in a silo or um, you, you start getting tunnel vision on just one area of your financial life, you might make a good decision, but are you making a great decision? Mm-hmm. So hopefully as we go through uh, this series together over the coming weeks, we'll be able to remind each other of the the fact that when you make a decision in one area, it's going to have an impact of some sort in another area. And obviously, uh, when you're doing comprehensive financial planning or making decisions based on one plan, uh, we, we hope that you're taking those other considerations uh, into mind as you're you're making choices. Actually, we push you to do that every single week, folks. And, and the call to action all the time is, what do you do with this information? Contact your certified financial planner because it's in that proce- it's in that process that you grab these choices in each of these six areas and you meld them together and make a choice that has synergy. 
make a choice in one area that greatly improves all areas of your financial life. So that's the danger in talking about one area at a time. But folks, that's what uh, we got to do. So we're starting with your present financial position. And when I think about the most important decisions that you need to make in this area, the first one that comes to mind is whether you should buy your home or whether you're better off renting. Is one right, one wrong? Let's talk through it. Yeah. You know, I I think of this question on on home ownership as both lifestyle decision and also a financial decision. And and I'm curious. I mean, if if you were to define the lifestyle side of the equation first, and and I think that should be your first decision is what what type of housing is good for your family at this stage of life, that kind of thing. And then turn it into a great financial decision by making a good choice that's in alignment with the life that you're trying to to build for yourself. But, um, you know, I, I have known a lot of people who are, maybe they're a, a doctor in residency in town here. And if you're only going to be in town for two or three years, and then you're moving on to some other community to start your own practice or something, should you own a home or should you rent? Mm-hmm. You know, your timeline, for example, uh, may have a lot to do with the right decision here. Or do you have the time and energy to be maintaining a house and, uh, you know, all the joys that come with home ownership? Um, are, are you at home enough to justify home ownership? You know, some people are sales folks. They're on the road three weeks out of the year. Do they really want to own a home in, in a case like that? Well, so you, you're you're getting into the different factors that you need to consider, and I certainly want to hit all those. My, my bias, be interested to hear what you think, Josh. My bias is I'd rather have you own than rent. And it's, you know, the old saying that, well, when you rent, you're just throwing money down the drain. We've talked about this before. We'll probably hit it again in just a minute. Uh, we disagree with that. Okay, yes, you're not building equity, but in certain situations, renting can be much cheaper, much better for your finances. But long term, you're going to have a place, you're going to need a place to live for the rest of your life. And I, I think long term owning is, I would have a bias towards owning versus renting. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not such a strong bias that I would consider it a universal recommendation either. Absolutely. Right? I and, and I am, I personally believe that sometimes folks buy a house too soon. Hmm. They're, they're not quite ready for that stage or that commitment or that expense. You could even say that risk mm-hmm. at times. Um, so I, I do think it's important to say, okay, are we at that point in life where owning a home does does make sense. So what point, uh, give some characteristics. What what are some examples of how you would know that you're ready? Uh, you know, I personally think of home ownership as putting down roots, mm-hmm. right? I mean, a, a house is an illiquid investment. It's not like you just hop into home ownership and hop right back out in, you know, b- between one month's time or anything. Let me just touch on that for a second with the housing market. Finally, finally okay again. It felt like it would never recover after a decade-long slump. It's finally better, and it's tempting to throw Josh's comments to the wayside and say, no, property values are going up. If I buy and I end up needing to move a year later, it'll be up in value. It'll be fine. Yeah, you're you're going to be paying realtors, right? and there's no guarantee that it's going to sell quickly. So each time, each month it's waiting, you've got carrying costs. So I certainly would agree. Yeah, I mean, there that. are certainly economic conditions that would make it easier to buy or easier to sell at certain times. But 
in a normal situation, if you buy a home, you're going to need to hold it for a while to let it appreciate in value enough just to get out ahead of the realtor's cost or the closing cost to get rid of the house. So one factor. So a bias is towards buying, although it's that's not a universal truth. And if you're looking to buy, signs that you know it's the right time is you are ready to plant roots where you believe you're going to be in this area, I say, for five years. That's a good time, okay. Three to five, but three would really be really be pushing it. The other thing that I would say is you've got to have a decent down payment. Yeah. Now, Cindy and I bought our first house a long time ago where uh, bank financing was pretty loose, okay? So we were we had 10% down, but we were able to finagle things and um, and avoid PMI. Those types of strategies aren't out there anymore. What has come back, though, is the 3% down and you can buy a house. I would encourage you, build up a strong down payment, but then also don't invest all of your cash in this house because you need to have some emergency fund or some home project fund as soon as you buy. So it, it requires capital, folks. That's the second thing in order to be ready. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the emergency fund because a lot of people use their emergency fund to help them get into the house. As soon as they own the home day one, they're exposed to all kinds of risks and good grief. I mean, you and I both know that things go wrong when you're a homeowner, Mm -hmm. right? There are some major expenses that can just be sprung upon you, um, you know, when, when you least expect it. So having a full emergency fund is important. And then also having a budget, proving to yourself before you buy that house that you can afford this month in and month out, um, not just in those months where you get a nice bonus or a nice tax refund. Renting makes a lot of sense if you don't have that capital yet. And then you've got to do the discipline to pay your rent, but also build up that capital to buy. If your job's in flux and you're not sure, I don't know how stable my job is, and you're not ready to put roots down, all of those suggest, no, it's not throwing money down the drain. You should rent, okay? And and that can be a great decision as long as it's made within the context of your goals and your long-term plan. What about buying or leasing vehicles? You think the home question's tough. Gosh, the car one is pretty controversial. So we've got that. And if you're buying, should you buy new or used? That question and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Should you invest your emergency fund in the stock market? Tempting when the market's going well, but is that a wise decision? We've got that choice coming up, as well as many others within your present financial position. Thank you for joining us. My name is Mike Bernard. Next to me, Josh Gregory from the KFG Studios. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern & Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the content of the Wise Money Show. And just a quick reminder, if you have a question, we're talking about questions all day today, really this series. uh, For the next six weeks, it's all questions. Reach out to us, call or text us, 574-222-2000, wisemoneyradio.com or at Wise Money Radio on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. So the question was posed early on, should you buy your house or should you rent your house? And Josh, we did leave uh, one small tidbit of factor you need to consider. Well, you know, I, I think that you need to consider the other areas of your financial life. You said something early on in that conversation 
that was it, it felt profound to me. You you made the observation that you have to have housing the rest of your life. Right. And th- the point there is if you get yourself locked into a rent situation, that may be trouble down the road. Maybe in the short term, it makes sense for you. But are you building up financial freedom even with your housing decision? I have a, a client who lost her husband. She doesn't have a lot of dollars, but uh, she she's retired now. And she wondered, hey, should I start renting just to kind of reduce my my monthly outflow? And my comment was, you know what, the, the risk is that rent just keeps going up over time, whereas if you can own your home, you're set. And we need to find a way to be able to live with, within your means there. But owning versus versus buying, it has tax implication. It, it has a change in the way that you structure your uh, insurance package. Mm-hmm. So don't just make this decision based on cash flow or what are your friends doing or I've just always wanted the American dream of, of owning a home. Yeah. Right? You know, you just one last comment. You mentioned inflation. Owning a house, you're working with inflation. Renting, yeah. you're working against it. Right. right. It's going to work against you. So, all right. The next big controversial question within your present financial position is same principle, but with vehicles. Should you buy vehicles, and if you do, new or used, or should you lease? Josh, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm always a fan of buying used vehicles, and it's not always practical for everybody. I it, just a quick disclaimer. Josh, was it last 17 or 16, you destroyed, what, six vehicles? And I'm using <laughs> the word destroy probably loosely, but... That was four years ago, <laughs> by the way. And you keep bringing it up like it's current events all I the time. I will never let you borrow my car. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. No, right. you had it was just a string of bad luck where right. every time you borrowed a car, something went wrong with it. It was pretty funny. Yeah, these were all company vehicles, in yeah, fact. Yes. So made me real popular in the office. But buying used. So so why is your bias? Why are you a fan of buying used? Well, I I've just observed over the years that a lot of people if if you are a middle income family, so so maybe you don't have the resources to just go out and buy a new vehicle every two or three years. The way that you win in this area is by saving up and owning the vehicles that you're driving and then driving them for a long time. Um, you know, folks who jump in and out of vehicles on a regular basis, uh, it, it's hard to get ahead in that case because quite often they're going from one loan to the next loan mm-hmm. to the next, and they're just constantly making payments with lots of interest involved and everything. And if instead you could maybe begin saving up for the next vehicle as soon as you're done paying off the one you're driving right now. Mm-hmm. If you get some of those years without a payment and you begin making that payment into your own savings account, each time you go buy a vehicle, you may have more cash in hand to do it. You may get a nicer vehicle each time or you just get closer and closer to paying cash for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a powerful position to be in, especially if life throws you a curveball and suddenly a, a um, payment on a car loan mm-hmm. doesn't fit like it used to. I have seen leasing a vehicle actually work out in, in a few circumstances. And so, again, I would actually say this one's also not just universal to everyone you've got to own and you've got to buy used. Uh, if you use your car for work where you're picking up clientele and so the condition of your vehicle really makes it has to make a certain impression then you may want to consider leasing in fact some companies require that your car be less than three years old 
And if you've got to buy a car, every a, a new car that looks good and is professional every three years, golly, it's hard to get ahead of that game if you're buying. Might want to lease, but you need to watch out for the different clauses and mileage and all those sorts of things. Uh, the other thing to throw in the mix here is all the technology coming to vehicles. We were talking at... Uh, at break, if you want to join that conversation, check us out on YouTube, on the YouTube channel. We were talking about Cadillac announced a subscription service where you can pay, oh, just a meager $1,500 a month and get new platinum trim, I believe Casey told me, platinum trim vehicles anytime you want. Porsche's got the same thing for two grand, but a premium option at three grand. Not that's not practical for a lot of folks. <laughs> that's a mortgage payment for a lot of so, folks. So that's one change that's coming. But the other one are these self-driving cars. But but I'm not talking about self-driving where the next car you buy, you'll just uh, be a passenger and never never drive it. I mean, Lyft and Bookface and all these, Google will own all the vehicles on uh, in the United States. You won't own one again. And there's going to be enough technology and enough resource where it will just come pick you up really almost instantly whenever you need to go somewhere. So I think we're still early on that. But as we get closer to seeing whether that's happening, if if it starts coming, buying and buying new may not make a ton of sense. Starbucks might have them. Starbucks is getting into the automotive business, possibly. What? Wow. If Everybody I, is. If a, if a financial pick, group is too. If a vehicle picked me up with a hot Starbucks in it, ooh, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Sounds oh. pretty good. So a lot to consider there. And, and then lastly, Josh, you might be trying to get a word in edgewise, but lastly, I don't care. I, I want you to make a great, dare I say, wise financial decision. But if you can reach all of your goals and be a good steward of the resources that you've been entrusted with, and still buy new cars every few years and nice cars, or you like to lease so you get nice cars. And if you can still be a good steward and still reach all of your other financial goals and do that, fine. That's the key though, right? Knowing what the rest of your financial goals are. Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish in your financial life? And if you say yes to a big car payment every month and lock yourself into a long loan, what are you saying no to by default? What's getting squeezed out of your financial plan because you no longer have the control and the cash flow, you now have a monthly obligation instead. Yes, you have a nice car to drive, but is it preventing you from making the progress towards financial freedom that you want. And do you have the clarity that when you say yes to that, you've got to say, it means you're saying no to other things. You've got to be working with a certified financial planner, not someone who's going to be the wet blanket. That's Josh's nickname in the office. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but just say no to all of your fun, but actually give you that, that decision in the context of, you know, well, you could do that, but by buying that $55,000 truck, you're not going to be able to save up for that down payment for the house. You know, I've seen some people n not just get themselves locked into a certain, um, you know, financial captivity because of a car loan, but they have to go get a certain vehicle because of other decisions they've made. Maybe they've got a big monster RV, so you've got to have a big monster truck to be able to pull it, yeah. right? You can't get by with a smaller truck or a different vehicle. Or maybe you need a, a huge SUV because you've got a huge dog that's got to get to the vet every once in a while. 
um, you know, maybe you need a, a certain uh, low mileage vehicle because you do a lot of road trips and things like that. So, you know, sometimes you can paint yourself into a corner where you don't have flexibility in your car decisions because of other lifestyle decisions you've made too. Or like having another kid. Hmm, that's right. Interesting. Mike. Another really important decision you have to make, and we're just going to uh, kind of introduce this topic right now, is we you know that we're big believers in the emergency fund. Emergencies happen, stuff comes up. You should have dollars set aside a certain amount. The amount depends on your situation, but a good rule of thumb is three to six months of your living expenses. So should you invest that money or leave it in cash? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a fan of, first of all, having a solid emergency fund that would allow you to live three to six months if you had an interruption to your income. Mm -hmm. But you don't know when or if that will occur. So it's important to have those dollars set aside in a stable account that isn't fluctuating in value. If there was an economic downturn that caused you to lose your job, is it possible that that same economic downturn causes your emergency fund to get squashed as well? I have three rules when it comes to emergency funds and savings. We've got that and whether you need a budget or not. Coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thank you for joining us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike. Alongside me, Josh Gregory in the KFG studios. Thank you, Bethel College of Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett and her team at REMAX 100 for partnering with us to make the Wise Money Show possible. We are talking about the big, the most important decisions you have to make in each area of your financial life today, all devoted to your present financial position. That's the first area of your financial life. But over the next six weeks, we're going to be tackling all six areas. Each one will have its own show, and we're going to talk about the most important decisions that you have to make. This is going to spark a lot of questions, and I want to hear from you. Reach out to us, 574-222-2000. You can call or text or online, wisemoneyradio.com, or YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at Wise Money Radio. So the decision that we're right in the middle of is you've got this emergency fund because we told you how important it is, and you've probably faced some emergencies once or twice, and you've got this pile of money. Banks are, you know, they've started paying a little bit of interest, but it still feels like point nothing. And meanwhile, the stock market has strung together a little bit uh, of a good stretch here. Do you invest that money or not? I have three rules when it comes to your emergency fund. The money needs to be FDIC insured. So that takes investing it right off the table. Because is it possible you can have an emergency at the same time the economy has an emergency? If the answer is yes, and that it's, well, actually, that's probably pretty likely, it needs to be FDIC insured. What about cash in the vault? Hang on. So it needs to be FDIC (laughs) insured. Second, it needs to be completely liquid. So cash in the vault. Could, could would fit that rule, okay? Needs, you need to be able to go get your hands on it when you need it. Right. And then it needs to be free. You can't pay a bank to hold on to your money, okay? So the vault would hit that. But after you hit those three rules, give me the highest interest rate possible. So no, you, an emergency fund shouldn't sit in the vault because if you've got that much money not doing anything for you, if you're concerned about a run on the banks and you want to keep a little cash in the vault, that's fine. However... Hit those three rules, 
and then give get the highest interest rate possible. That's what you should do with your emergency fund. I am very much opposed to investing it. Yeah, I I agree, and and it it would violate a principle that we say, hey, if you're going to have money uh, set aside for a goal, match the investment to the goal, right? Or to the timeline, to the objective. And an emergency by its definition is short term because it's going to be sprung upon you when you least expect it. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be able to have access to that money, as you say, at a time where you can cash it in for full price, not at a depressed price because the stock market happens to be down that month. Beware. We took a question from a fan of the show a few months ago from the bank searching, doing some screening oh, yeah. of, of the members mm-hmm. and and called this person and said, you've got too much money in your bank account. You need to invest that. No, be, be careful, folks. This is uh, Those are good principles that we've just talked about there. This one might be cheating a little bit, but it's still a choice and sometimes an unconscious choice that you don't even know you're making. Should you have a budget or not? Yeah. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? Do you remember, there were some, these were my favorite commercials on the radio, but I think it was the DNR or some wildlife conservation place. They asked the question, do you need a hunting and fishing license? I don't. And then they ask a series of questions to help you decide. Do you have a fluffy tail? Do you have plumage and a sharp beak? Do you howl at the moon? You know, and and basically at the end it says, if you answer no, then you need a hunting and fishing license. Go to this website, whatever. Oh, my goodness. We need something like that for budgets. Yeah. Do you need a budget? Here's the thing. I'm, my guess is you know you need one and you don't have one. That's the common answer. And so that's why this is a choice folks. And by not having one, you've just kind of defaulted to making the choice that you that you don't need one. No, no, you do. I would say there's three ways to do a budget. One is if you're naturally a saver and you naturally know where your guardrails are and you know you've got the clarity and confidence, you're saving up the right amount for your goals and you're not going backwards, then you probably need an annual budget. You just need to look on an annual basis and say, this is how much money we made. These are the most important things with the money uh, that we need to do with the money. Put those in first. So we need to save this much. We need to have fund this goal and college and tuition, mortgage and so on. And then make sure that you didn't go backwards in your financial life. That's your annual budget. Some of you just need a monthly budget where you're building out, all right, how much can I spend in groceries and in all of these different areas to make sure I'm still hitting my goals? And then some of you need uh, either a weekly or a monthly budget, but with a lot of accountability and a lot of follow through and a lot of attention to it. I was there. This is not a pride that, that your choice on those three isn't isn't grounded in your pride. I was in that first one as we were just getting started with our marriage. Now I'm into that second one where I tune into it once a month. But some of you, at, at the start, I looked at it every Sunday. Right after church, I was, I was looking at the budget. Sometimes I'd look at it during the week as well. You know, I just met with a new client who they came in and they've, they've not really worked off of a budget in recent years, but they were telling me in the past they were real disciplined with it, but they've made enough money in, in recent years that they haven't needed to watch the pennies as closely. But as we got into their financial plan and we started talking about what it's going to take for them to achieve their retirement goal, we realized that their 
on a good pace, but they're not on enough of a pace to reach that goal. They were going to fall short if they just keep doing what they're doing. And I was able to quantify for them, here's what you need to do more. Here's the additional amount that you need to be saving for retirement and for in order for that goal to be attainable. And they looked at it and said, I, I think that money's there in our cash flow, but we have to go find it. Hmm. And they, right in front of me, they kind of recommitted themselves to going back to a zero-based budget where they're going to plan out where are the dollars going so they can find this extra money every single month. I love that response. And, and I want to go back to the disclaimer you made at the beginning of the show, the danger of us talking about the most important choices you have to make in each of your areas and just devoting each episode to one area. It's not just about one area. The best way to know what type of budget you need and how disciplined you need to be is in the context of your overall financial plan. Because it might, I get, I get this all the time, can, um, can one of the spouses stay at home to take care of the kids? I can't tell you how often you can make those numbers work while not setting money aside for your goals. So you can make the mm-hmm. budget work but what is deceptive is you're actually not saving the right amount for your goals, so you're actually getting further and further behind while it actually feels like you're doing just fine. That's right. So you need to make this budget decision in the context of your overall financial plan and your goals. Get a coach, get a team member, someone on your team who is committed to helping you reach your goals and helping you have the lifestyle you want for today. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a whole method of budgeting out there that basically just says, Figure out what those goals are going to cost and start devoting the right amount each month or each year to those goals. Let those be the big rocks you put in place first, as Stephen Covey says, and then fill around it with the things that are less important to you. So if you save the right amount for the right goals, then you just live off the rest guilt-free. And if you're building a budget, if you haven't built one, folks, call your certified financial planner. Call us. We we love helping folks with that. We're going to start Wise Money University. In fact, we have where we're teaching about budgeting and so on. But I would build your your budget the exact way Josh mentioned. Start with your income, but then don't say, well, I've got my mortgage for this and we spend this much at the grocery store. No, no, no. Start with the things that you need to do for your financial health. We need to save this amount. We give this amount and and so on. And then build it down from there. So let me introduce the last decision that you've that I see as the most important that you need to decide and that is paper or plastic cash or credit debit or credit what do you suggest Josh well you know there there are some folks out there that are very rigid and say do not use a credit card and even a debit card is dangerous because the research shows i think McDonald's was even involved in one of of these uh projects that if you swipe a card, it doesn't feel like spending money to you. So you're going to spend more anywhere from 17 to 24% more uh, is what I've read. Mm. Um, And that may be true. But the fact is, in, in today's day and age, online purchases and stuff like that, there's a convenience factor the point is having a plan for your spending mm-hmm. and even making the credit card bend to your will instead of it just driving your behavior every month. I, I like that. Uh, let me ask you this. Can you, the long-term care insurance premium that you pay, does that help you on your taxes? It's tax time, folks, so you got to be thinking about that. We've got that question and answer coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Can you deduct your long-term care premiums on your taxes? It is tax season. Ugh! I'm just kidding. No, this is a fun time of year. We all get to go out and fill up, fill out our taxes and see how many deductions, credits, and all that we can get. So we're going to be talking taxes here in just a minute. Uh, my name is Mike Bernard. I've got Josh Gregory across the studio or across the way from me in the KFG studios. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you've missed anything, every episode's on the YouTube channel. Check it out at wisemoneyradio.com uh, or at wisemoneyradio on YouTube, as well as on podcasts. It's all podcasts as well. If you're driving, then put it on uh, podcast. Just search at Wise Money Radio uh, in iTunes and Google Play. We're talking about the big financial choices before we get into taxes. And this last one, we we left a little meat on the bones, and that is cash or credit, debit or credit. What's the preference? And we didn't talk about the very important discipline and principle of the envelope system. Budgeting is a great discipline and habit to have, and yet doing the envelope system puts it on autopilot, gives you those guardrails, gives you those uh, that structure automatically. And we've talked about it before. We've got folks that make a lot of money, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year, and they use the envelope system to make sure that they're staying within their lanes and making sure that they've got money going to the right places. So I would consider that as you're looking at cash or credit, credit or debit, what areas of your budget should go in to the envelope system and how do you harness that that discipline? Yeah, well, I, I love the word discipline there because the, the thing about the envelope system is it's really the most pure form of budgeting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it takes you back to a day and age when you were young, maybe had your first job, you got paid in the form of a check, you cashed it, and then you spent the money, maybe you saved some, but when the money was gone, the money was gone. No one was out there you know, offering you credit to help you get to the end of the month once the cash was gone, right? Yep. So to, to me, the areas to use an envelope system are the areas where maybe you're most prone to make impulsive decisions and you need to put some guardrails, as you said, some sort of governor on how much you'll spend in this area, where you want to have the reinforcement and, and the visual, um, uh, I guess, help of knowing, it. do I still have cash to spend on this or don't I? Mm-hmm. When it's mm-hmm. gone, it's gone. So things like eating out, uh, groceries, I think, can be a good area just because it forces you to cruise through the, the grocery store lines or, or aisles, rather, mm-hmm. uh, paying attention to what you're buying. Are yeah. you staying within the budget? Uh, entertainment might be another area. I'm less, some people would say uh, gas for your car. I, I don't think so. No, yeah, uh, yeah. Pay at the pump is just way too easy. And quite frankly, you got to fill up your tank, right? Uh, you, you need gas to get around. So how are you going to budget the use of fuel maybe? But uh, those are probably the three that I would recommend most most commonly. Shopping? You didn't even put shopping in there. I always do four. There's four great categories to do the envelope on and shopping's the other what, one. How do you find shopping for what? Clothes. Clothes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could see that. Um, I I do that in our delayed spending oh, bucket. Yeah, so it. we still set it aside, set aside an electronic version of got it. Uh, an envelope system. So I agree. All right. Folks, we are launching, this is uh, the first episode of a six-part series where we're talking about the most important financial decisions that you need to make in each area of your financial life, but it's also tax season, and we're going to devote a little bit of each show to talk about tax questions that we've got from fans of the show, and I would just, it's, it's a fun time of year. I know a lot of people dread doing taxes. I know we were all sold that you can do your taxes on the back of a postcard malarkey. Nope, it's gotten more complicated, and you need a trusted professional to help you do tax planning as well as get the absolute correct tax return prepared for yourself. It's a very busy time of year. We're hustling doing, oh, well over 2,000 tax returns, make sure you sit down with your CPA and tax planner this time of year. I can't think of, you know, we've been beating this drum about tax planning for decades. I can't think of a more obvious time than right now with all the tax changes where everyone, everyone, everyone needs tax planning. What should I be doing differently? What am I going to lose? What am I, what's going to improve my situation? Sit down with your certified financial planner who also works with your CPA. Got a great question here from Sarah. She's 36. She said, a well-known company says they can prepare my tax return just by using my last pay stub. Is that a scam or is that something I should consider? I, I don't even know why you would advertise that way. I mean, is it just get simplicity. the return faster? Yeah, and and simplicity. Yeah. There there are uh, there's uh, are a lot of people who have a phobia. Uh, they're somewhat paralyzed in going through all the mail and all the documents and they're overwhelmed by the whole process. It's gotten so complex. That's why I love the idea of a tax return on the back of a postcard and that's not what they really tried to do at all. They, they just tried to sell it that way. But but to prepare a tax return on just a pay stub, you can prepare a tax return on just a W-2 then, if, if that was true. That's true. And it implies that someone's financial life is so simple. They don't have uh, other deductions and things like that that they could be taking. I, I'd question whether or not they even need a professional to be doing it if it's really just a few numbers. But I would... I- I might concede that answer. I would actually question the accuracy of the return. And yeah. certainly the, the what I'd put in question over and above that is, are you doing everything possible to take advantage of your tax situation? Right. I mean, is this time of year just going to be something that you've got to do, so I'll just check the box and I'll get it done and pay whatever tax my return says I'm supposed to pay? Or are you going to optimize your situation mm-hmm. and do something about it and try to pay the least amount of tax over your lifetime? That's got to be the approach. And bringing in just a W-2 or, excuse me, just a last pay stub, even if the cost is free, you're getting sold something that is not what you need. Right. So Yeah, you're in compliance mode at that point, right? right. You're just checking the box, saying it's done, move on to next year. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking a real planful and I would say a leadership role in your financial life. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you. Don't settle for just tax preparation, no matter how easy someone can make it for you. Um, instead, go to that next level and be a planner of your taxes. That's right. Ryan, age 55, asked a great question. He said, I signed up for long-term care insurance 
for me and my spouse through my company last year. Do I get to deduct the premium that I pay on my taxes? That's a phenomenal question. Most people don't think about that. When you pay your homeowner's insurance, when you pay your auto insurance, when you pay uh, your life insurance, do you get to deduct that as well? Long-term care can be a little bit different. The answer to the home insurance and auto insurance, that one's pretty obvious. No, you don't get to deduct that. But there's this, well, there used to be this squirrely part of itemized deductions about deducting medical expenses and qualified long-term care premiums could count towards out-of-pocket medical expenses, therefore helping you on your itemized deductions for last year. Now the game has changed moving forward. But the one thing I would point out here, Ryan, is if you live in Indiana and you have an Indiana partnership policy, you get a special deduction on your state tax return as well. I haven't seen any employers offer a partnership policy. Like a group plan, you mean? Exactly. But for those of you who buy your long-term care individually and you live in Indiana, make sure it's a long, it's a partnership policy because you get to deduct it on your state return as well. That's right. Well, you kind of just stole my thunder because oh, bummer. that one gets missed a lot. The, the, the Indiana partnership uh, deduction. So if you're paying those premiums to the right type of plan, it gets tucked into that state return. A lot of people don't think about it. But mm-hmm. this question that Ryan's asking, I, I think it also hits to a broader topic, and that is just being aware of where do you get a tax benefit on certain um, expenses? Uh, so, so things like a health savings account contribution could be written off on your pay stub uh, mm-hmm. or on your W-2 or on the tax return itself. You, this is exactly why you want to work with a CPA to make sure you're capturing everything possible. Not true. Why you want to work with a certified financial planner who's also working with your right. CPA. Better said. And like where, why you also shouldn't be doing your taxes just with your last pay stub. Folks, that is all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory and myself, as well as Kevin Corhorn, who is absent today, and all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.